we are going to talk about personality disorders. So this sounds kind of vague, and our main focus for personality disorders this week is going to be narcissism. And some of the things that we're going to talk about is what exactly makes a person a narcissist and how to identify them because they can be quite difficult to have any type of relationship with. So let's back up first though and talk what do we mean by personality disorders? How would you describe a personality disorder? You know, personality disorders, I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Liz, you're gonna have to watch the clock because I could go on for a long time about this one. I'm I think it's really interesting. So a person, let's just talk about personality in general. Personality is the way we think, feel, behave that makes us say different from other people. And so in some ways it's, it's kind of what makes us unique and it's influenced our personalities influenced by experiences, our environment, and mostly the environment is really family of origin how we grew Mm -hmm. up, parenting, siblings even, surroundings, where you grow up, and then inherited characteristics. And so typically we think of personality as being pretty stable throughout the lifespan, Mm -hmm. that typically it doesn't change much. Now, if you think about a personality disorder, then that is a way of thinking, feeling, or behaving that deviates in some way from the expectations of the culture. That also causes some distress or problems in functioning. And that personality disorder lasts over time. So again, like your personality where it becomes stable, once people have a personality disorder, it's really difficult to change that. Let me just give you a brief example of what I mean culturally, because some people may be curious about that. For many years, I had a French client. So she, and she was from France. We spoke French occasionally in Mm -hmm. session, but her behavior often was really reminiscent of what we would call in our culture a histrionic personality disorder. But in her culture, it was not. And so she wouldn't, uh, whereas I thought, okay, you're really qualifying for this personality disorder. But back in France, she wouldn't. And so it's just a way of behaving or expressing oneself that is outside the cultural norm. Okay. Does that make sense to you that it is culturally dependent in a lot of ways? Yeah, it does. So why don't you first explain what a a histrionic? Okay, so there are is. how many? I think there are 10 or 11 different um, uh, personality disorders. I'm just going to go through them. And I'll, okay. uh, I'll stop briefly and tell you what histrionic is. Histrionic is a pattern of excessive emotion or okay. attention thinking. Uh, oh, okay. his, they, t- they typically are uncomfortable when they are not the center of attention. And often, here's kind of one of the defining characteristics is they use their physical appearance often to draw attention to themselves. So often the way they dress Mm -hmm. may be somewhat provocative because it then tends to draw attention to themselves. So histrionic is one. Let me just run through, because we aren't going to have time to go through all of these, and we're going to focus mostly on uh, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So there's antisocial personality disorder, avoidant borderline personality disorder. And I'm going to come back and just talk really briefly about that because that's Mm -hmm. also one that a lot of listeners are probably going to be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dependent personality disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, paranoid 
schizoid personality disorder, and then what we call schizotypal personality disorder. So uh, also what defines a personality disorder is that they affect these different areas. It affects the way we think about ourselves and about others. Mm -hmm. I think, again, one of the defining characteristics, it defines how we respond emotionally. And so, and so often the way, if someone has a personality disorder, then then responding emotionally in a way that is some somehow outside the norm for the culture mm-hmm. um, that goes along with that is how we relate to other people. Mm-hmm. And then also another defining characteristic, how we control our own behavior, or mm-hmm. maybe more accurately, how we don't do a very good job of controlling our behavior. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of personality disorders, you'll see that it'll appear like the person has very little control over their behavior, especially that emotional response and mm-hmm. how they interact with other people. With personality disorders, it causes some distress. But there are some there are some characteristics that I think are common to all pers- to most personality disorders, and that is that people with personality disorders often create chaos in mm-hmm. their life. Yes, and. You know, there are a lot of different ideas of the reason that people create the chaos. I think the one I like, the one that makes the most sense to me is that often with some of these personality disorders, they feel kind of empty inside emotionally. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways they create, oh, a feeling of being or a feeling of meaning is to create the chaos because then there's always something going on in their life Mm -hmm. or there's always a problem that they have to solve or help people with. And so it keeps, it keeps them feeling like there's something going on in their life. They aren't empty. So feeling chaotic, I think is that's a defining characteristic. So another one is this is what makes it really hard to treat personality disorders. And we'll go into that later, but they, they never think it's their issue. Yep. It's always somebody yep. else's problem. It's and never I, their I hear fault. I hear a personal I hear a personal story in there in your response that maybe we can get to later. But um it, so it's always going to be somebody else's problem. And so mm-hmm. you get them in your office and they're talking about their relationships with other people and they seem problematic. It's not their fault ever. So that makes treatment very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So let me just talk a bit very briefly about borderline because it's one of the personality uh, disorders that people may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. The term borderline, I think, can be confusing. It's always, I mean, it's still confusing to me a it little bit. It sounds weird. Borderline? Like you borderline think, what? What? A borderline between what? And that's right. a very good question. Yeah. So what it is, it's borderline between what we call psychosis and neurosis. Okay. So it's not really in psychosis, which is uh, really you lose contact with the external reality. Mm-hmm. Neurosis is just defined as poor ability to adapt to one's environment or the inability to change your these in these patterns these maladaptive patterns mm-hmm. um, or to have a more satisfying rich personality and so it's in somewhere in between there now the here's the thing that characterizes a borderline personality disorder is they either love you or they hate you mm-hmm. and it's often they can flip from one extreme to the other Hmm. Yeah. But also that extreme can be permanent. For instance, you might be my really great friend and then you could say something wrong or something that might offend me Mm -hmm. and you flip. Now you're out. 
you know, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Mm -hmm. So you have that white, black and white thinking, uh, you know, good or bad. And so one of the defining characteristics is that black and white thinking, Mm -hmm. or I love you, or I hate you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very hard to treat though, because of that inability to see their part in the Mm -hmm. relationship. So now we're going to go to narcissism. Mm-hmm. Which again is it's a, it's a difficult one. It's difficult to be married to a narcissist, but so you always wonder. Yeah, I see couples all the time when they come in, and ten years later, they're saying, "Well, this my husband or my wife is a narcissist," and I'm thinking in my head, "Well, you know, they were that way when you married them." Uh huh. <laughs> so, but I think what the what's interesting is narcissists can be really charming. Yes. And they so <laughs> they can be really charming. You've got a story to tell. I know you have. Are, and maybe I'm pushing you into telling something that you don't want to tell. I have I have someone in my life that okay. that is a narcissist. And what is that like for you? It's incredibly frustrating because it's like you said, that it's never their fault. And there is always, always something going on. And this person chaos, are they creating chaos? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, there's just, there's always chaos around this person. And the defining trait that seems to me for narcissism is a lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. And that's really the feeling that I get is this person doesn't seem to care about anyone but themselves. And it doesn't matter how many times you can tell them you've got to think about it from the other person's perspective. There's still X, Y, and Z of why this isn't their fault. Mm-hmm. And what it comes down to is this person is, it's difficult for everyone to be around this person. And so let me just say something about empathy. I, I believe what you just said, that I think they have a lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. But there's some interesting research that came out, I think, last year, which actually they were, this this research was indicating that possibly narcissists really do have empathy. They just choose not to acknowledge it or use Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah. And so it's more of a choice rather than they don't have it. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be empathetic because I choose not to. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Right. And, you know, and I wonder because this person I'm thinking of, they are good at creating sympathy for themselves. Yeah. is something they're right. very good. And this person still has lots of friends. And the more I'm around this person, the more I wonder how, because I'm like, how has this person not burned all of their bridges? Because everyone in our circle has pretty much said, has pretty much set boundaries and said very strict distant boundaries 
of, you know what? No, I'm, I'm drawing a line. And the answer is just no. But yet this person still seems to keep almost like they keep recreating new friendships. I'm curious, is this person like married or uh, an intimate Has personal been. relationship? Has, Has been, been, but not now. No. Okay. Nope. And so see that it, I think it's really hard to maintain a marriage or mm-hmm. a committed in a personal relationship. I think friends are a little bit different. I mean, from my own experience, I've certainly had um, narcissistic friends. I don't anymore because it's easy to tolerate them for a while. Mm -hmm. But then if it's usually the giving is all one way, you know, and you don't get a lot back. And after a while, you know, after years of that, that you get tired of that. You decide, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to move on. So I think friendships is slightly different than being married. Mm-hmm. So narcissistic personality disorder certainly causes problems in many areas of life, like certainly yeah. relationships, like we talked about work, uh, financial affairs, often they aren't very good with finances. Mm-hmm. And so they are often generally, they're un- unhappy and disappointed, but that's not what they you know, when they're not given the special treatment that they think they deserve, then they're really unhappy mm-hmm. and disappointed. So let's go over some of the characteristics just so okay. everybody's clear. And then um, <clears throat> I'm just going to preview this because I think there are two types of narcissism. And one I'm going to call compensatory narcissism, and that's going to okay. be a little bit different. But this is what this is kind of the classic uh, narcissistic personality disorder. They have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. They feel entitled. They require excessive admiration. Mm-hmm. They expect to be recognized as superior, even without achievements that warrant it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they often exaggerate their talents or achievements. They, some of them are, they're really preoccupied with these fantasies of success, power, brilliance. They think they are superior and they can only associate with people who they perceive Mm -hmm. as being superior like themselves. Mm -hmm. They often monopolize conversations. They look down on other people who they think are inferior. They take advantage of others. Mm -hmm. They're exploitative often. They have an inability or unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others. That goes back to the empathy. So even here, they're acknowledging that it may not be that they can't, although that's the inability. It's the unwillingness Mm -hmm. to acknowledge because the only people who are important in the world are themselves. Nobody else is important. Mm -hmm. And so often they're envious of others who they think, you know, maybe have more money, more status. Mm maybe you're uh, more handsome, more beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's kind of the classic narcissistic personality disorder. But I think it's really important to talk about compensatory narcissism. Okay. Now that that's different because rather than this, this coming from genuine feelings of self-confidence and high self-esteem, Compensatory narcissism really comes from an underlying sense of insecurity and weakness. And so it's Mm -hmm. almost what they do. They, you know, lack of a strong self-esteem. And so it's kind of, they flip it upside down. So instead of feeling really weak or vulnerable or like they're not good enough, Mm -hmm. it turns around in their head. I'm going to, I'm just going to make myself really great. And so it looks a lot like, regular narcissism but when you when you do like in our work we'd call it a clinical interview when you're talking about where does this come from it really becomes easy to see the difference 
in the two, Mm -hmm. because it's easy to pick up that underlying sense of insecurity and a lack of self-esteem or a lack Mm -hmm. of self-worth, because that kind of leaks out. So, you know, those people with compensatory narcissism, for instance, they're really sensitive to how other people's might re how people might react to them. And they're really looking for criticism. And then often they feel shame and humiliated mm-hmm. and maybe really anxious around the judgments of others. Well, whereas a typical narcissist or a classic narcissist probably wouldn't care one way right. or another. And so that's kind of the big difference between the mm-hmm. two. You're, uh, do you have a sense of uh, the person who you're familiar with mm-hmm. as a narcissist? Do they fit in one of those categories? I would say the latter probably. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. And maybe this person couldn't be considered a narcissist because I wouldn't say they have, this person has an inflated sense of self-esteem. It's more of just a complete disregard for the feelings of others. And maybe that's something entirely, but I mean, either way or it makes this person extremely difficult to be around. And this person, a lot of it is this person is just convinced that they deserve more than they actually do. This person is incredibly entitled, mm-hmm. probably the most entitled person I've ever met in my life. And, and there's been times where I'm like, how do you think you deserve this? What makes you so confident that you deserve this? Because you haven't done anything to earn it. So I maybe that doesn't fit into narcissism, but I mean, I really do no, think I think so. that does. I yeah, think you does think so? so? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I mean, really, it's just the biggest component is the lack of empathy towards others, or it's often, this person is often, it's all about me. Has that person ever been in trouble with the law? Yes. Uh. And what would you be willing to share just in what way? I'm just curious about it because they might fit what I, what we call that antisocial personality disorder. I don't think they would fit into the antisocial disorder. People people misunderstand antisocial. They think they don't like other people. It's not that it's that they don't, they break laws. They don't think. Okay. I see what you're saying. That's so a lot of people think, Oh, if I'm antisocial, it means I don't want to be around people. Mm-hmm. it's not that at all. It means you don't understand social norms or yeah. you don't you respect break, social constructs. You don't, re- you don't re- respect the social norms. Like okay. I shouldn't walk yeah. into the store and just take what I want because mm-hmm. that's breaking the law or I shouldn't right. uh, speed and things like that. Does, is, mm-hmm. does that kind of fit? Because often they go together. Yeah. Narcissism uh, is often a component of antisocial personality disorder. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to talk about treatment? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, so let's talk about treatment. Or is, there, is there more that you want to talk about as far as the, the actual person, the characteristics? I think we covered that. I think what I'd, I'd maybe like to say is if, if you're going to marry someone, you need to really know them because like you said, narcissism or narcissists, they have this ability to be very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> So you bring up a really good point about marriage, which I think we talked about last week, possibly. I can't. We've talked about it before. Right. This this idea of really be careful and understand who this person is. Yes. I think one of the best ways, this is probably true for all personality disorders and certainly with narcissism, is to look at what their other relationships are like. 
Mm-hmm. So don't just pay attention to what your relationship is like with them. Right. But look at their relationship with parents, with siblings, with friends, with work, with coworkers. Mm-hmm. Get a sense of who that person is in other contexts. And then I think I've used the term before in these episodes, be aware of red flags. Mm-hmm. And so if this red flag comes up and you think, wow, that doesn't look, that doesn't feel quite right. The way he is with his parents or the way he is with his, he or she is with his sibling, pay attention to the red flags. Because it means something. And so that person may be on their very best behavior with you. And I think they really do understand how to behave well, but they can't maintain it. Right. And that's really good advice, particularly in Utah culture and the church Mm -hmm. in Utah. I mean, I've said before, marrying a guy I'd known less than a year at the age of 19 was the craziest thing I'd ever done. And going into it, I, I knew that there could be a possibility that I didn't know what I was getting into, but I had a pretty good solid foundation in knowing that, okay, there isn't any huge red flags. Knowing the relationship and the respect he had for his mother was very telling for me. Uh, particularly given the context of his childhood mm-hmm. and the fact that he was completely loved and is devoted to his mother. That was a big green flag, I guess. Yeah, no, I it, agree. You know? I agree. Absolutely. Yes. And I think also pay attention to the way they treat, I would say, people who they might consider beneath them. Or less fortunate. Uh, often right. People who might be less, that's a really excellent point, Liz, yes. that that pay is a good yeah. thing to pay attention to. And in real, a lot of religious cultures, particularly a lot of Christian religions believe in abstaining from sex before marriage. And this perpetuates to a shorter dating and courtship period. Right. And so it can be really easy for things to just go so fast and you can miss the red flag. So I think it's very helpful for listeners to know the red flags to look for. And so, yeah, so pay attention to how they treat people less fortunate than them. Or if if they ever consider someone to be beneath them, that's a red flag. Or if they treat mm-hmm. someone like they're beneath mm-hmm. them, you know, and pay attention to the relationship with their relatives. You know, I, I think I think that's, that's really, really good advice. Really good yeah. advice. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about treatment. Now, here's the biggest problem with treatment, which I already mentioned before, is they never think it's their problem. Yep. So they're highly unlikely to consider treatment or enter into treatment. Mm -hmm. And even if you were to say to someone, you know, I think you have like borderline personality disorder, which never go, by the way, never goes over well with Uh borderlines, but they just say, well, no, the problem is you. And yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing about narcissists, some, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone developed a one question test to see okay. if you're a narcissist. And the question is, are you a narcissist? And most, <laughs> most narcissists will say yes. <laughs> and so, Interesting. And so I think what that means is they kind of like being a narcissist. Uh-huh. They like yeah. that feeling. Yeah. But so if if you do find I think there are some treatments that uh, can be effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, there's no there's certainly no medication that right. we know of that's going to be helpful. So that's not going to be an option. So really what you have is talk therapy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but there's a specific type of talk therapy called DBT, which stands for dialectical behavior therapy. 
And, and boy, I think it's been around since the 1970s. So it's been around a long time. And it was eventually where it really got a stronghold is in treating borderlines. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it helps you. There are certain things that it really focuses on. One is to be able to regulate your emotions. So it's a, a lot of skill building. How do you regulate your emotions? How do you tolerate distress? How can you be more effective interpersonally? How can you really think about your life in terms of what can you change? You know, instead of being stuck in, I can't change anything to what can I change? And then along with that, this seems like contradictory what I just said, but sometimes we just have to accept, you know, the situations that we're in. And that's true for a lot of us. Right. And it's certainly true for people who are dealing, who are involved with someone who has this personality. You have Mm -hmm. to accept that they are who they are and you can't try to change them. You can't change them, but I'll do, I'll, you know, after we talk about this Mm -hmm. dialectical behavior therapy, the one thing I know of that works. And so uh, mindfulness, that's the other thing Uh in dialectical behavior therapy, which is just a way to, you know, meditation, things Mm -hmm. like that to really become more centered. And so DBT, while it had probably uh, its start in treating borderlines, I think it's been found to be effective in really most personality disorders. Mm -hmm. So if you are with someone, say, who you think might have a personality disorder, I think the treatment to get him into either individually or group, because it's done in both formats, is to try dialectical behavior therapy. And I would guess Mm -hmm. in any uh, large city, in Salt Lake City, there are many therapists who would practice that. We don't in our group, but uh, there are many, many resources for that. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're married to a narcissist or someone with a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I think really all you have is the ability to set boundaries. Yes. That's what they respond to. And, you know, you, you might have that experience with this person in your life who is a narcissist is that that's all you have and you hold to your boundaries and they push, they will push back against the boundaries, but it's what makes life somewhat tolerable with them Yeah, is to set boundaries. And and it's the only thing I know of. If you were to read any, like the classic book on borderline is called stop walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there, there are many books out there on narcissism. And I would guess that in the end, the takeaway is going to be, figure out a way to set boundaries. Well, also acceptance, Mm -hmm. uh, but figure out a way to set boundaries with these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially if it's not someone that you can just completely cut out of your life. Well, Um, even that's a boundary. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. It is a boundary. I'd imagine that it's gotta be most difficult for a parent to be raising a narcissist, which, and, and we all know that kids, mentally lack the ability to feel empathy at a certain age. You know, I've, I've often asked myself, I wonder who's more narcissistic today, my two-year-old, my four-year-old or my cat. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you, you bring up a really good point. There's a a retired professor at the university Uh of Utah, her name's Lorna Benjamin, and she would have been, and probably still is considered really one of, I would go to first say the world's uh, 
experts on personality disorders. Mm -hmm. And I took a psychopathology class from her many, many years ago. And this is the, okay, so the first class, she stands up and she says, give me a child and six months, and I will give you any personality disorder that you want. Uh So she really believed (laughs) that it was caused by parenting. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And and I think she's probably modified that slightly, but it's a little scary. But yeah. what what made me think of that is I think one of parent one of uh, being a parent one of our primary tasks is to raise children who are empathetic. Empathetic, and yes. you're you're absolutely right that kids. I don't know. Maybe they would develop empathy on their own. They probably would in some way. Yeah. But I think it's up to us as parents to teach that to teach them how to have empathy, Mm -hmm. how to care for others, how to be aware of what the other person is feeling emotionally. Now, one of the best ways to do that, and I know I've mentioned this before, is John Gottman's parenting program, which he calls either the heart of parenting, or there's another one, emotion coaching. Okay, yeah. Is what he calls it as well. And that is a really great way for parents to teach their children empathy, because Mm -hmm. he believes that that the the emotional ability of the child is really what determines how far they go in life you know mm-hmm. that and that's right. up to that's up to us as parents so mm-hmm. that was a bit of a diversion but i think as as parents and ray you know i i think if if you have a narcissist you really ought to look at what you're doing as parenting around right. parenting mm-hmm. and focus more on how do you create empathy right and and that was the next thing i was going to lead into is childhood trauma, I would imagine could play into it or um, not necessarily it. narcissism, okay. Okay. borderline personality disorder, definitely okay. histrionic yeah. personality disorder, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that is, uh, so that's a combination. So that this, you bring up a really good point. The combination, we call it nature and nurture, mm-hmm. right? And so the nurturing part is the parenting piece. So how do parents respond to a child who's had experienced some sort of trauma? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the nurture piece. And then um, the nature piece would be, you know, what do we come with? Um, I think we've talked previously about resilience. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are resilient and some people aren't. And yeah. I don't know that we know a lot about resilience. Mm-hmm. Although I mentioned Sam Goldstein's book about how he thinks we can create resilient children, mm-hmm. which would be another good topic sometime. So it, it's uh, certainly childhood trauma plays yeah. into it. I think childhood trauma might play into compensatory narcissism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Because it's going to negatively affect their self-esteem and their self-concept. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways to counter that is to flip it and be right. a compensatory narcissism. So you're right. Uh, you're yeah. Right. And, and also I think sometimes parents can do all the right things. And sometimes, I mean, their child is, is going to be who they're going to be. I try and help parents understand that all the time is yes, we can teach them, but in the end, they're an individual. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can be doing all the right things as a parent or all the right big things, because I mean, no parent is perfect, No, but sometimes you can be doing the right things and your child is just, they are who they are. That's right. You know? And so I wouldn't want parents to say, wow, I think my child's a a narcissist and oh my goodness, did I do that? Is that, is that my fault? Because I, I think I would say no, probably. 
Well, you know? if it's a if your child's a narcissist, then I think you could say, okay, I need to help them with more empathy. Well, um, I, right, and I guess I'm talking more grown up. Children. Oh yeah, then you can't you you can't you know yeah yeah yeah. I mean You're because right, right. I agree it, with that. Yeah, I mean, because there, there's been times, I have an eight-year-old, and there's been times where I've said, uh, what are you doing here? Like, think about what you did and how this made this other person feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, because children are inherently inclined to think of themselves. And, right. and it's just, you know. It's, but that's, it's a natu- just, that's a natural state, and they don't really move out of that. I think they don't uh-huh. move out of that till about 25 is <laughs> <laughs> when they start to move out of that, you know, being that yeah. egocentric person so it's a natural stage of unless unless they have kids young because i tell you i had my well, first, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right i had my first kid when i at age 20 and let me tell you that <laughs> cured me of any uh me 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 that <laughs> definitely right. took that away so yeah but, but you i i think you will probably acknowledge there are some people who they may have a kid at 20 and they're still me 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 yes and it doesn't work out well Yep. So, yep. I, I know. I know someone like 